0: We are so thankful to our choir for the efforts that they are putting in to help uh, make our worship service uh, what it is. Thank you to Steve for his hard work in uh, preparing and guiding them, and uh, putting all of their hard work uh, and assembling it together. I'd also like to say thank you for uh, to Chris Harold for all of his hard work behind the scenes and uh, shifting and navigating through the music slides and making all of that uh, seamless. on uh, your end as you watch. And a last thank you this morning is to my son Owen, who's helped uh, uh, edit several videos that we've been able to put together over the last few weeks. And just very thankful to you, Owen, for your help with that. Um, we uh, are focused this morning again in Matthew chapter 6 as we uh, turn our attention to hearing the word of the Lord Jesus as he gives us the model prayer. Again, we'll be uh, starting in verse 9. Uh, Jesus says this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This morning, as we uh, continue in our service, uh, we're going to turn our attention Uh, As we think about temptation, we're going to turn our attention to chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. And uh, there we'll find uh, more discussion about what happens when we do fall into temptation. Uh, we began to look at that last week as we examined three uh, character traits, three uh, ideas that uh, of what Jesus wants to build in us, integrity and generosity, uh, and uh, how he wants to develop us in time, uh, over time, with him, and uh, we are focused on Hebrews chapter 12 this morning uh, to hear how we are to fulfill this prayer of lead, being not led into temptation. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says in these two verses. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance, perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, as we think about temptation, and we think about The times when perhaps we fall into temptation, this is a really helpful idea, especially if there are particular areas of life that uh, you find particularly challenging, particular temptations that continually call to you or continue to seem to wrap themselves around you. And pull you down. Uh, the writer here describes It begins by talking about being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And if we were to step back from these two verses, looking at the book of Hebrews generally it's a, as an overview, we would see the chapter 11 that's just led us into these verses talk about it's this whole gallery of faithful people in the past. People who were models of faithfulness, not perfect in what they do, but they're heroes of faith. People in some ways that we might emulate. People that that demonstrated how to live a life of faith, even in the face of opportunities where disbelief was an option for them. And that is the life of faith for you and me. That's the life that draws us into prayer, a life that uh, where we listen to the model of praying that Jesus gave to us, a life of faith. That, that draws us to ask God to lead us not into temptation so that we will not fall into disbelief. This is, this is the cloud of witnesses that surround us. These heroes of faith and they're heroes by their faith in the way that they responded to God. Uh, in their trust and obedience to God, they trusted That what God said was true. And they trusted God to the point of stepping out and acting on that belief. It wasn't just theory. It was putting their feet to the pathway of their life. And stepping forward with God. That is what faith is all about. They're not commended because they were perfect. They're not commended here because they never had a problem. They're not commended because they never once fell into temptation. That's not... The issue That's not what's being commendable about them or commended in them. It's about their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Abel is one mentioned. He was commended because of his wholehearted worship. Noah trusted God beyond what he could see, even to the point of building a big old boat where there was very little water. Abraham is mentioned as one who believed God's promise of a child and a child to be born to him even in his old age and Abraham is an example an example of faith exemplary in faith because he walked with God for years after receiving the promise until the moment the promise was fulfilled and so he is commended for his faith so when the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 begins by saying therefore he's talking about chapter 11 in this gallery of faith heroes and he says, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us now throw off everything that entangles us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The word throwing off can mean laying aside. It's like when you're getting dressed to go to the beach. You normally take off certain clothes and put on other clothes. It's that idea of laying aside, but it's a little stronger than that. It's about putting it way, not just taking clothes off and putting them in the hamper to be washed and worn again. This is about taking and throwing them aside, jettisoning them out of your life. I don't know about you, and if you like going to the swimming pool, um, if, you were, uh, if we were together, I would ask for a show of hands of how many of you enjoyed the, the art of swimming. <coughs> Some of you might very well reach your hand. Uh, but when it comes to exercise and swim, Bryce and swimming exercise do not mix very well. I'll pick it up right there. I'm sorry. I've got to use my diaphragm more. I'm pushing on my vocal cords too hard. rice and swim, don't mix too well, right? Swimming laps is not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I don't know about you, I know some of you in our church enjoy that thoroughly. Uh, swimming laps with a towel in each hand is something I really despise. Uh, when I was in high school, part of our off-season football training program, uh, we went into our uh, school pool. And we dove in and we swam a few laps and there were time of course and big competitive boys we uh, tried to outdo one another and after swimming a few laps we got a little tired and then the coach who was uh, quite cruel in his own way he comes and brings in a big pile of towels. And what he tells us is that everyone who's to dive in is to take a towel in each hand. And is uh, to swim the full length of the pool. Now, I don't know if you ever tried that. <clears throat> you may want to. Make sure there's a lifeguard around. Um, but what you find not only is the swimming difficult, but it's made excruciatingly hard as you're trying to swim and to move your arms holding a towel that's now soaked with water uh, as you move through. Uh, it becomes uh, heavy, of course. It becomes really unhelpful. Um, but when the towels, you get to the end of that, and the towels are laid aside, I... I got so mad that I would throw the towel down on the cement deck of the pool, and that that was my way of punishing the towel. Um, But uh, when the towels were laid aside and we got back in the pool, do you think it was a lot easier to swim? You bet it was, because we took the the hindrances and the things that, that weighed us down and we set them aside so that we could swim better. There's a reason that competitive swimmers in the Olympics or other competitions, there's a reason. That such swimmers don't wear jeans into the pool. There's a reason they don't wear sweatshirts when they go swimming, right? You know the reason. Because it bogs them down. It weighs them down. And it it clings to them. And it messes up their ability to swim properly. Have you ever asked God um, to make it clear to you about sinful habits in your life? About the things that, uh, maybe attitudes that so easily wrap around you. About the things that weigh your life down and and continually get in your way and trip you up and just mess things up. Have you ever spent time asking God to reveal that to you? Uh, A pretty well-known pastor named John Piper uh, describes a, a moment in his life where he took a little sabbatical a few months away from his ministry, And he asked God that very question, that God would help him understand what his characteristic sins are. And so he spent time reading the Bible and praying and uh, asking God what areas called to him most strongly and most consistently, most often in his life. And for him, in that moment, he summed it all up in what he describes as personal selfishness. Uh, for him, was a besetting sin, is the way some ancients described it, out of Hebrews chapter twelve. Uh, and he described, John Piper describes, selfishness for him in, in five different ways. He describes in those reflexes that this this personal selfishness uh, is so strong in him at times that it, it creates this reflex out of him. It's unthought through, it's un, unmanaged at times, and the reflex expresses itself in this way, in these attitudes. His selfishness is a way that he expects to be served, that he feels that he is owed something. He wants praise from other people, that he expects that things will go his way when he enters into a project, that everything's going to turn out right and go his way. And the last reflex for him that's a result for him of selfishness is that he feels that he is the right. To react negatively to being crossed. And then he goes on to describe a little bit more about selfishness for him as the most characteristic sin in his life. And he says it actually has four effects in his life. And it affects him spiritually and personally in these four ways. Number one is it produces anger in him. When his selfishness is not met, it produces anger and that may be true for you, as you would, might examine your life, too. It creates self-pity is the second uh, effect in his life. It also creates in him, thirdly, a quickness to blame other people and to assign blame elsewhere because of his selfishness. And the fourth effect of selfishness for him is sullenness. It's just this detachment emotionally from things that might stir his heart. And so I found that really interesting for somebody to be so vulnerable and to be willing to share uh, about his quest for God to reveal in his heart uh, what it is, what the characteristic sin or sins were of his life. And that was the list that he came up with. And I wondered today or this week as you're listening and watching this broadcast, would you set aside some time in your life? You have to make the time. But set aside some time and uh, get into a quiet space and, and ask God to reveal in your heart what a characteristic sin might be for you. And just listen. Maybe have a pen and a piece of paper ready and listen. Listen to the thoughts that emerge. Listen to the voice that might come. Because these things tend for most of us to entangle our lives. And they weigh us down. And they trip us up, and they keep us from moving forward to in the pace that God wants and to the, the degree that God wants. And so these, uh, it always comes back for us, as the writer of Hebrews says, to Jesus, right? That's the classic Sunday school answer, right? It doesn't matter what question is asked, it's always Jesus, right? Kids get uh, trained in that idea quite regularly uh, and easily, but in many ways it's true because our spiritual lives always circle back to Jesus, and the writer says this, that if we are to lay aside and throw off every sin and everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, if we are to throw that off, it is so critical that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to fix our eyes on Jesus. I want to do an experiment with you at home today, okay? Are you ready? I want you to find uh, two objects around your house. It could be a pencil or a pen, a sticky note, a paper clip. It doesn't matter. Just two objects that you can hold, one in each hand, okay? So I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to go find something. Quickly, quickly do it. Okay. Uh, I want you to take the objects, one in each hand... And I want you to hold your hands straight out like this. So you're making a straight line from your shoulder out. um, And if you're sitting down like I am, you can lower your your hands right on your knees. Okay? So in other words, I don't want your hands together. I just want your hands straight out in front of you, shoulder width apart, holding one object in each hand. Okay? Now I want you to look at the object in your left hand, whatever it is, and just look at it. Do you fix your eyes on it? Focus on it for a minute. Fix your eyes there. Can you see the one in your right hand? Probably a little bit. But if you're focused here, it's hard to see, right? You might notice it, recognize it, but it's, it's not the, the focal point of your life. Now, shift your eyes and look at the one in your right hand. And fix your eyes on the one in your right hand for a moment. Can you see the one in your left hand? Yeah. But can you see it as well? No. It's sort of on the peripheral part of your vision. Now, I want you to try to look at both at the same time. Can you do that? <laughs> I know some of you are testing your peripheral vision and wondering how this can work. Uh, but it really can't. You can see both at the same time, right? But you can't fix yourself on uh, both at the same time. So when the writer of Hebrews says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, what he's trying to help us do, and he's encouraging us to turn our eyes away from the very sin pattern that tends to trip us up, that tends to entangle us, that wraps itself around us, that weighs us down, that impedes our progress One of the values of our church is to be people of lifelong growth. And if you're going to be a person of lifelong growth in your life, what we mean by that is spiritual life and the nurture of Jesus, knowing what it is increasingly to be like Jesus in your life. If you're to be a person like that, then you have to learn how to recognize the sin of your life, recognize the temptation to that sin before you fall into it to pray that God would help give you the strength and wisdom to not fall into that temptation, but even should you fall into that temptation, to have the ability, because Jesus gives you the ability, to overcome that temptation and to find healing and forgiveness, to fix your eyes on Jesus. The Bible says that he is the author of our faith. That word can be translated founder. He's the founder of the faith. He... Another translation says he's the champion who initiates our faith. He's the pioneer of our faith. What that means is pointing us to the cross. uh, The verse goes on and says that even though Jesus uh, uh, scorned the the shame of the cross and still went there, he endured the cross because he knew what lay beyond that moment uh, was the salvation, the instituting of our faith, the initiating of faith in him. You see, it's Jesus' death on the cross that allows you to know God. It removes the guilt of your sin. It's a laying down of the burdens. It's a laying down of the things that weigh your life down. That's why Jesus went to the cross. So that we might come to the cross and we might lay down at the foot of the cross the things that weigh us down, the things that so easily encumber and entangle around us. You're probably familiar with the name Lance Armstrong, uh, the great uh, American bicyclist. Um, uh, he was somebody that I admired for about a dozen—I uh, don't know—a decade or so. Probably you did too, for many reasons. See, I read his biography, uh, being a cancer survivor, and boy, I was hooked in his life and really cheered for him in so many ways. He, of course, was a cancer survivor. Uh, you might recall that he won seven straight. Tour de France uh, bicycle titles, and if you're not familiar with that particular race, it's one of the most grueling races on the planet. For 21 days, bike riders uh, will ride over mountains and down canyons, Uh, so much elevation, 21 days they'll ride usually over 2100 miles, imagine riding on your bike 100 miles of multiple elevations, Uh, over 100 miles a day for 21 days. Not in a leisurely pace, mind you. That's what the Tour de France is. Of course, Lance Armstrong, part of the reason that I I admired him was because of his founding of his uh, cancer foundation to navigate cancer patients. But of course, we know the the cloud that now hangs over uh, his memory uh, and memory of his feats uh, and uh, the, the challenge that was because he was caught with performing Performance enhancing drugs, and you're probably familiar with the story, Uh, and he was stripped of his titles. He was stripped of uh, his sponsorships. Lawsuits uh, followed after all of this came to light. His teammates, in these races you'll have teams that work together to secure victory. His teammates, uh, many or most or all of them, also use these performance-enhancing drugs. And they, they with him, lied and covered it up for years on end. And finally, during these lawsuits, uh, they uh, had the opportunity to come and to finally confess their participation as a teammate in this uh, issue of performance-enhancing drugs in the middle of these races. And they, they describe, uh, several of them, they describe what a relief it finally was to come to a place of being able to unburden their soul of this sin, they don't use the word sin, but of this, this thing, that this deceit that they had held on to, this lie that they had vigorously defended, and holding on to it for so long to be able to uh, be relieved of the burden of holding it and hiding it and being hindered in their life because of it. You see, they were allowed to move forward and not be stuck in their shame any longer. The sin that so easily entangled them for year after year after year. That's what confession of sin is allows us to do. When we come to the cross of Jesus and we confess our sin, it opens to you the fullness of life that Jesus desires for you, where the hold of sin in your life loosens its grip. The grip of sin in your life is loosened as you confess that sin to Jesus. This is part of what is meant in our mission statement, our emerging mission statement as a church, that we want to call people to live in the fullness of life that is found through a personal relationship with Jesus. You see that the effect of sin begins to decrease its effectiveness in you. Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author of our faith. He is the founder, the initiator of our faith. But he's also the one who perfects our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. This is the only time this word is used in all the New Testament. And it, it's trying to explain and describe an idea that one of one who brings to completion uh, a successful conclusion of something. Jesus is the one who brings our faith response to him to a successful conclusion. Conclusion: the work of Jesus that He began in you, will, He will be sure to find it, to find you and to guide you to your successful conclusion of your faith, life, in Him. It doesn't mean that you won't have bumps. It doesn't mean you won't have falls. But it means that He wants to pick you up and to hold you again and to make you whole once again. Philippians chapter 1, the Bible says, Be confident of this. That He, Jesus, He who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the moment Jesus decides to return again, He is with you uh, guiding you to the faithful conclusion of what He desires for you. Uh, elsewhere in Galatians 5, Paul says, So I, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Sisters and brothers, this is what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to be in prayer that we will not fall into temptation. But if we do, we are to be people who are able to, with God's help, to identify the sin that easily entangles and weighs us down and trips us up so that He, God can remove that out of us and cleanse us and put us in a new pathway forward where we are disentangled from that sin so that we can walk free as liberated people. What a great reminder on this Independence Weekend that we are to be free, to be set free from the law of sin and death, that we might walk now with the Spirit of God into our future. We are to pray, God, lead us not into temptation. And we do that by fixing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Would you take time this week and sit with this passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and ask the Lord to reveal to your heart the areas of your life that he would want to reveal to you now and cleanse and to forgive, to unburden your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning, this day, this evening, this afternoon, whenever... Uh, these are watching. We pray, God, that you would guide our hearts into your presence. You would help us fix our eyes on you, Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who will guide us through to the very end. Because we believe with the Bible that you who began a good work in us, you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And we say hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen.